Hi, I'm Becky Gannon, host of Mad About Miniatures, where I talk to talented and interesting people in the miniature world. This week, I'm so excited to have Ems Hancock. She's from England. She's a miniaturist, an author, a life coach, and one of the most delightful people I've ever met. You can find her on Instagram at Wentworth Place. Let's give a warm welcome to Ems. Hi, Ems. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, let's get right into it. How did you get into miniatures? Well, do you know, Becky, when I was very small, my granddad made me a beautiful doll's house, but he kept it at his house. And one day when I went over to see him, he told me that he'd given it to the local school and I was absolutely devastated. And I think it was because I probably hadn't played with it the time before. So he thought maybe I'd grown out of it. So I think like many miniaturists, like many people with houses, um, it started when I was very small, but I haven't had a doll's house until my daughter was little and we, we bought a sort of large wooden one and she never played with it. Um, and so I, I just kind of didn't really think very much about it, but then quite recently I bought myself a cloche, a, a little sort of glass, um container like they would use at a museum and I just wanted to make a little scene in it so I made a a tiny kitchen and I had it on the kitchen table and my children loved it so much it gave me the idea to do something a little bit bigger that's wonderful yes I've kind of dabbled in and off with miniatures too I mainly just remember my Barbie dream house and then also going to the Smithsonian and seeing that big dollhouse But I really got into it during COVID. Is that around the time you got into it too? Yes, I think like many people, I was looking for something absorbing and something I could do inside. And I stumbled upon what I didn't really know was out there, which is this incredible community of people who all spend their time creating tiny, tiny things. And it's just been an absolute eye opener for me. And I've loved the whole thing. Yes, you know, I also was sort of consciously picked miniatures as a hobby, as something I kind of thought I wanted to do. But the community was indeed a surprise. Um, A really delightful surprise. And I think we talked about this in our little pre-chat about how very kind and supportive and generous everyone is. Yeah, I mean, like you, I I was quite flabbergasted by that because I've always thought that social media can have a bit of an edge to it. You know, some people can be quite um, aggressive even on social media or or just not very kind. And so to discover this beautiful group of people who didn't mind that I was rubbish at everything, you know, because I didn't know how to do anything and I didn't know what scale things were and I was laughing at myself. And this, you know, people were commenting and and on Instagram and, and saying really kind things and telling me what to buy and pointing me in the right direction. And I was like, who are these people that have got this time to be so kind to me? And I I just found it really moving, actually. Yes, it's one of the aspects I didn't count on is the connections Mm. I've made with people and um, the help and how they always find the good thing in my miniatures. (laughs) Absolutely right. And I mean, the fact that we're talking now 
is quite beautiful, isn't it? Because we discovered each other on Instagram, like a lot of miniature people do. And, you know, we just hit it off straight away. And I think it's lovely that you're on the other side of the world to me. And yet we've got something in common. Um, and we can talk and share and laugh and enjoy one another's houses and hobbies and and kind of cheer each other on. And I just think that's so brilliant at the moment. We, we all need that kind of camaraderie, don't we? We do. And that's another thing that's really struck me is somehow at first I sort of figured everyone from was from the US. I guess that's that US centric point of view. <laughs> and then I quickly realized that I'm not even sure half the people I talk to are from the U.S. <laughs> you know, no. I talk to London and I have friends in Sydney and in New Zealand and yeah. quite a few in the Netherlands and Sweden. And it's yeah. really wonderful because I don't know how else I could have so many friends with something to talk to about in other countries like that. No, I agree. And I think... That's what struck me the most is that um, obviously there is there's some language barriers, but emojis are really helpful, um, I found. But also kindness is universal. And if if people are saying things, you know, sometimes I'll look them up if they're in a foreign language and people go out of their way to be encouraging. And I, like you have met people from all the different continents pretty much and I've just felt really blessed by that and really surprised um, that there's such a huge community of people out there from all kinds of places and yes a lot of them are American um, but I happen to be from Britain darling so very very English. I think we I think we can all tell that. Now your <laughs> son actually had a theory as to why this is a kinder group than most. Do you want to share that with us? <laughs> Yeah, so he was we were talking one day and I was saying, you know, it's such a surprise to me that people are this nice. And he said, Well, do you know what, Mum? I think if people have got time to make a miniature trifle, then they're probably quite patient and kind. And I thought, gosh, do you know what? You're right. Actually, the people who care about tiny details have probably got time to say something kind in a comment or to notice the the one good thing in the in the room that you've done even if you're posting something and saying oh I've made a bad cut or I've done a mitre wrong or look at the state of these curtains somebody will say something they'll say but look at the floor or look at how much progress you've made and it makes you feel like gosh actually I can look at the good things here so I think he's right that um miniature people and people who are into dolls houses and all kinds of different crafts to do with that seem to be very kind do they do and that's in, in direct contrast to especially the behavior in the last year we've seen on social media um which which has gotten pretty aggressive now i wanted to tell people what you do that you're a life coach is that correct yeah, so that's right. I work in, um, as a mental wellness and well-being coach in um in a school, but I also do that in a number of companies as well. So, um, I work with adults and with children to inspire and um, strengthen people's mental well-being. And one of the things we talked about is. As a life coach, you have sort of a unique perspective on what a hobby can do for a person's well-being. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's it's an amazing thing to me that actually our hobbies 
uh, protect our brains. They actually nurture us and they help us to um, work problems out, even if we're not actually focusing on something that's a real world problem. Because what happens in our brain when we're doing something small or we're doing something intricate is that our brain is shuffling. It's kind of decluttering, if you like. It's a bit like hoovering. It's getting rid of some of the dust that we don't need from the day. And you might not feel as though your problems have gone away, but actually maybe your brain has kind of filed them neatly or maybe it's dusted them a bit or shown you a different perspective. And that the the evidence and the research shows that having a hobby actually helps us to work out things in our real life jobs, which is incredible, isn't it? It really is. I mean, what I notice is that when I'm working on it, it takes up just enough attention, mm. you know, not so much that I get too stressed uh, most of the time. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'm so intent on how am I going to make this miniature painting and will this chair fit here? That it yeah. does give me a break from Absolutely. my other issues. And at this, yes, and at the same time, like you said, I didn't really think about it, but I'm doing problem solving, I'm doing creativity, um, yeah. I'm working on my precision and cutting always. <laughs> yes. But it's, it, you know, we've said this before, I think, when we were chatting um, another time. But I think what I love about the miniature world is that it's a host of different skills. It's not one thing. And so one day you might be doing some, you know, miniature floristry. And the next day you might be building something with clay and the next day cutting with wood. So there's so many different ways that you can employ your brain. And as you say, it takes that focus away from perhaps a, a real life problem that you've got or an annoying issue that is, you know, you're kind of struggling with. And it gives you a different focus to create something that you're proud of, which, of course, raises your self-esteem, which helps you feel better about other things you've got to face. Yes, I think for me, it gave me a purpose on some days when I didn't know what my purpose was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you think emotionally you were looking for something to give you that sort of, I don't know, reason to get out of bed every day? Do you think emotionally you were you were looking for, for that kind of purpose? I do. And then I, I hate to say this because I don't want to sound like a control freak because I, I don't think I am. But in COVID, uh, you know, there were so many effects and they weren't always what we expected. And every day was different. And I am a planner. And all of a sudden I couldn't plan. Yeah. Except in your dollhouse, you can still plan. You have control over your dollhouse. <laughs> yes, I think you're so right. And actually, having control makes us feel safe. You know, when we're out of control or when we feel somebody around us is out of control, that makes us feel unsafe, doesn't it? It's like, imagine you're in a car and somebody loses control, you feel unsafe. And I think the world has felt unsafe recently. And I think for, for many of us, we found our safety and our control and our ability to design and plan in miniature form. Yes. And I've also read that, you know, everyone can, most people can deal with, you know, there's three major functions. There's sort of your personal life, your work life, where you live, and, you know, you can you can undergo a little bit of change in some of those. But if every single aspect of that, and for many of us, you know, so much was affected. If 
all of that is affected, that takes that that makes it difficult for anyone to cope. And so I think finding a routine, finding something positive to think about, you know, just and also to me, something not on the computer, not another Zoom call. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. You're so, so, so right. The, the fact that it's lo-fi, that it's not, unless you're using, you know, some of the technology that's available, some of it is is very manual, isn't it? And involves kind of sitting with pieces of sandpaper or a little paintbrush or whatever. And and that takes us away from screen, which, of course, is a real um, bonus at the moment. It is because I also like to read a lot, but I read on my computer and I found between Zoom and working on my photography for my business and posting, I was just on the computer all the time. And I said, I need something else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, I do think that sitting on any kind of technology, you know, it's not great for our posture, is it? I, I noticed I was getting sort of neck aches and back aches and things. And, um, I think, you know, it's not good for our minds. It's not good for our sleep hormones. There's all sorts of things it messes up. So it's brilliant to be able to come away from that and do something practical and interesting and varied. It is. Now, we had a little chat before the interview. And one of the questions I asked you was whether you were for stairs or against stairs, (laughs) for bathrooms and against bathrooms. And you had quite a reaction to that. I mean, quite a reaction. Yeah. Would you I, like to I share had it? I a massive, a massive reaction to that question. I think, Becky, you, you kind of rocked my world because <laughs> I had never, <laughs> I'd never presumed to dare to dream of a house that didn't have stairs in it because I just thought you had to be practical. But you opened my eyes to the fact that some dolls can fly yes. and some dolls don't need stairs and some houses don't need stairs. And I was just like, oh, yes, I'm in charge. I don't have to stick to this bizarre rule that we have that things have to look like a certain way. You know, if I wanted my doll to have a pet crocodile, I could. You know, if I wanted peacocks to fly in at the windows, I could. Um, there are no rules apart from the rules we impose. And so that rocked my world. It did. Um, I I had noticed sort of a dichotomy between people who did and people who didn't. And I thought I would ask about it. And it was even more, more, more life changing than I thought, um, especially about bathrooms. Although in a way, I'm very glad I didn't talk to you earlier because you and your, you and your daughter made the most incredible bathroom I've ever seen. It is. Thank you. That's incredibly kind of you. So my daughter and I, my daughter is um, is 11 and I'm 48. So we, we have a slight age difference and our, our taste is a little bit different as well. So Esther likes quite modern lines and quite clean things, quite minimal. And I'm a maximalist and I'm traditional and I like clutter. And as long as it's beautiful clutter, of course. So it's been quite interesting trying to build a doll's house with um, with my client, as I call her, um, because her taste is, um, her preferences change. But we meet in the middle and I think we have decided, and this is news just in, so this is hot off the press. Oh, We've decided scoop. we don't need stairs. Um, and so because of that, we've got much more room in some of our rooms, which we're excited about. But we have kept our bathroom because we love it. So I changed your plan. 
you, you have completely changed my whole plan of the doll's house. And I wish I'd spoken to you before uh, before I was doing anything because I've now got the issue of how I fill in the floors. Oh, so that's, yes. that's the exciting uh, problem. That is I the exciting face. part. But for those of you who haven't seen the bathroom, you will have to go to Wentworth Place and check it out. It is a spa, and I hope someday I own that bathroom. <laughs> well, so I do. So we, there's two different rooms. There's the spa, which has got the swimming pool in, but then there's the there's the bathroom that's got like a, a round tub in there as well. So both of them are aspirational in terms of I would never be able to afford them in real life but um in 112 they're they're just about affordable well but you were so disappointed that you couldn't have your retro bathroom that you actually created a bathroom room (laughs) box which I'm not sure I've ever seen a bathroom room box well it's the weirdest thing Becky I don't there's no accounting for people's taste is there we all have very different things that inspire us and for me I wanted so much to have a retro vintage 1970s bathroom, which Esther thought was disgusting. And I think you named the color for me. What did you call it? Harvest it Gold. Was, Harvest Gold. That's right. Because so, that was um, the color of our refrigerator in the 70s. Wow. Okay. So um, for those of you listening, Harvest Gold um, is this beautiful, in my opinion, kind of mustardy, custardy yellow um and Esther just vetoed it she was like mum that's just grim I don't I don't want it anywhere near my doll's house so I've I've built it it's in a room box which I'm I bought from Lundy uh Lundby rather and um it's so it's it's kind of the same make as the vintage um bathroom that I have and it fits in there beautifully and it sits next to my doll's house as a little reminder of what might have been (laughs) So where are you on the progress of your dollhouse? Are you almost done? Um, no, not really. I think we are, in terms of, if if it was a set, I think we would be done because it looks quite nice. But there's lots of things. There's lots of hidden things. So there's lots of things that are blue tacked to the walls rather than glued. And there's holes in the floor because I don't have stairs and I've covered them with bits of cardboard and things. So there's lots of little jobs to do and there's lots of furniture that um, still needs painting and I haven't done anything about the exterior. And when I bought my house, um, it was really in quite bad condition on the outside and the windows all need painting and the roof needs doing. So there's a lot of work still to do, um, but I could get away with saying it was nearly done if if I had to, but I think I'm going to be doing it for a, a long time yet. I'm beginning to think that perhaps miniature houses are never done. Well, you see, I think we change as well. So I know people who've said, I finished my, you know, music room or my um, attic bedroom. And then, you know, five days later, they're like, oh, now I'm changing it all. And I want to do it again, or I want to do a different color. Or So I think we change, don't we, as people, we're not, we're kind of, we're human beings. So we we change each day our preferences and we don't often want the same clothes to wear and the same food to eat. We want difference and we want change. And I think that's the same in miniature. I think it is. And also for me, besides changing it for seasons, which, you know, seasons, holidays, a a big, really a big impact on miniatures. 
um, when you look at doing your porch for spring versus Christmas. But also, you know, I think we really follow design trends more than perhaps, you know, miniatures used to. And I look at some of the things that I picked and go, oh, is that out of style now? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And even I think it's really interesting how different countries have different styles. And um, some of the people who I follow in the Netherlands have different ways of, of doing fireplaces, for example, that they do like a round tunnel fireplace in the corner of their rooms. And um, they would have different words for things, which I, I, I love. And Americans call things differently. So I was fascinated, you know, to, to hear the word hutch being used because, um, we would never use the word hutch in the same way. A hutch for us is where a rabbit lives. Oh, um, and so, but you you would use that word for a, a kind of a dresser or a cupboard that that you would store plates in. Is that right? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, I would. And yeah. one of the things I've noticed is that people will say bits and bobs, which which I've never really heard before. And the other one is dinky. And I think to you, does dinky just mean small? Yes. So a um, a dinky toy, it was, I think, a brand of toy. But um, dinky cars and things, I think, I might be wrong, but they they just meant very small cars or toys. So dinky, yeah, dinky means small here. But see, to me, dinky in America, dinky also has a negative connotation. Oh. Yes. What does it mean in America? Kind of. Dinky, like not very nice, you know, might fall apart. Oh, it's kind of dinky, you know, maybe cheap, just sort of a a little bit negative. Oh, well, that's a really good tip because I, I, that's something I don't want to comment on and say, oh, this looks really dinky. So I will uh, memo to me not to say that. (laughs) You might find yourself unfollowed. (laughs) Yeah, I would. That that would definitely be an unfollowable offense, wouldn't it? Yes, I think it would be. So what scale do you work in? Well, this is hilarious because um, I didn't understand anything about scales when I bought a house. I didn't even, I'm not very mathematical, Becky. I'm very arty. And so I didn't even think actually about sizing. And so I made that rookie error of just buying things on the internet and them arriving and them being giant or just completely tiny. So one of the things I bought that I was really excited about was this sink and um, it arrived and I thought, oh, this is lovely. And I put it in and I was like, oh, it's it's the size of a double bed. <laughs> like, how has that happened? And it was because it was one sixth and I just didn't know. Oh. And so I suddenly realized I must be working in one twelfth. And um, then I started to try and buy things in one twelfth. But some people are a bit cheeky and they advertise things in one twelfth and you get them and they're not in scale with the other things that you have so I don't always um trust the measurements um and sometimes I've bought things that haven't worked out for me I do too and I'm gonna tell you a little secret I hope I don't get scolded for this in my first house um I did get some things that were larger and I put the larger things on the second floor which was all one bedroom And the smaller things I put in sort of the three or four different rooms on the first floor. Now, it was just a slight difference, you know, but that's how I (laughs) got it. I like that. That's clever. Yes. And then when I photograph things, if I think something's a little tiny, I put it more up front so it'll photograph bigger. (laughs) Oh, that's very good. 
Yeah, no, I like that. I think for me, I think I think because there are some people out there who are very technical, aren't there? And I've even seen some people who create themselves um, a paper doll or, you know, a scale to use in a room. And I, I, my mind just doesn't work like that. I, I do everything by guessing. Um, and so I kind of enjoy the, the creative process, but not when I get it wrong. <laughs> right, right. And you know, one thing I tell myself, I mean, I try to keep it in scale, but one thing I tell myself is, you know, everything in my house isn't a perfect alignment. You can no, have right. an overly large, um, clock. You can have a, a chair that's a little small. Yeah. You yeah, know, you, absolutely. you can have, you know, big overstuffed furniture or small to the floor so that's how I try to justify it when I get it a little wrong yeah actually that's a really helpful perspective thank you yeah I think one of my friends sent me um an oversized star which I um put in my bathroom and immediately it was in there I thought this really works even though it's not in scale it just works in that space and I think you just have to go with your instinct, don't you? And think, I really like that, or that's not going to work for me for whatever reason. Oh, but I I know exactly what star you're talking about. And I think part of why it works is there is a trend. I mean, I've seen those large metal stars and they are indeed quite large. Yeah. So I think in that sense, it is in scale. That's my story. And I'm going to just stick to that. I'm sticking to it. Absolutely (laughs) right, Becky. So you should. Can I ask you a question just before we go? So one of the things that I'm really fascinated about with you is your love of colour. Um, tell me what it is about colour that that makes you so happy because you use it pretty much everywhere, don't you, in your houses? What is it about colour for you that inspires you and brings you joy? Well, you know, that is really the first thing I look at in design. You know, for me, it's the colour. And... I think for me, color is very emotional. If I look at a certain shade and it's just right, it actually makes me happy. And if I look at a shade that's not quite right or that's quite wrong, it it depresses me. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, because I I look at your I look at your work, and I feel better. You know, it's like I think it's got. I think color does have a healing almost healing impact doesn't it on our moods and our um it it just changes our emotions so it's really interesting that that you're aware of that when you're doing it I used to have this one bowl and unfortunately it broke it was a glass bowl with teal and green in it of course and if I would just stop in the living room and look at it for a moment it was like a little meditation for me it physically changed my mood And I think that's why the color is so important to me. Um, I will tell you a little secret. I I went to law school uh, more than a few years ago. And when we went, my husband and I went to grad school together. And he sold his beautiful light blue sports car and bought a brown old station wagon. And I got rid of my beautiful hardwood apartment uh, in, in the North End and had a basement apartment with brown shag rug. And so, to me, the color brown will always be associated to some degree with poverty and stress. Wow. Gosh, that's fascinating, isn't it? 
but I totally get that I can see that that for you that's it that's a it's tainted in your life in some way isn't it by that period it's kind of colored in for you of like brown equals this time in my life yes and I'm now to the point where I do like brown wood there was a point where I didn't even like that but if you give me brown material I'll there's no, please don't give me brown material I will not use no, it do you know do you know what you'll do you'll paint it I <laughs> or you'll You'll embellish it. You'll add, you'll embroider it or something, won't you? Oh, I, you're right. I would just glitter that up and change it. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's really interesting because when I look at your work, and I'm sure that other people who've seen, you know, Dollhouse Flair and, and what you do, I think the first thing people will notice is that how free you are with color and how exuberant your colors are. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And it's, it's, in some way, I think a testament to the journey that you've been on in life, isn't it? Of like, now look, at my life is full of color rather than full of drab, you know, browns and, you know, the grays of that time. What a beautiful way to look at it. But yes, I, I think that there is that. I mean, to me, color just sort of makes me happy. And, you know, I think also to me, I because I start with one bright color, you know, because of the principle of design of threes and fives, then I think, well, I have to balance it out. I know some people just use a pop, but that's not me. (laughs) So then I layer in, you know, three things of orange. Well, then I have to layer in three things of turquoise. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But I think it works for you. And I think um, what I love about you know, what we're doing here is we're not asking everyone to be the same. We're enjoying one another's different ways of doing it, aren't we? We're looking at one another's rooms and admiring. Um, We're not trying to copy anyone, although sometimes there's something we think, oh, that's really clever. I'll try something similar. But it's lovely that we've all got our own style and our own way of um, creating, isn't it? I couldn't agree more. In fact, there are some accounts that I just love that are mostly white or white and black with plants. And I love them. I've even on occasion tried to do a room like that. But something always, you know, a color always crawls in there. It just (laughs) never quite happens. But it doesn't mean that I can't appreciate and even drool over other people's rooms like that. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. But our personalities come out, don't they, when we're designing something. So for me, I there's certain colors that that for me are massive. So for one of them for me is the color that I've done my dining room, which is the the sort of cobalt blue. Um and for me that's such a happy color and it's a color of my childhood, it's a color of people I admire. Um and it's a color of holidays. It's all kinds of different um, things. And for me, that that's such an important color to have in a dining room. Whereas I can enjoy somebody else who has a pink dining room or a green dining room and, and love that, but know that my style and my color means plates have got to be blue. <laughs> you know, it's just the way I want it. Yes. And um, I think we will evolve too. I mean, yeah. one thing I try to do is have each house different. Although so far for me, that means each house is colorful in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I, I would be fascinated because I've obviously only ever done this, this first one and I don't know what I would do next, but, um, 
I'm fascinated to see what will evolve. And I think I might look back on what I've done now and think, oh, gosh, that was awful. But at the time, you're just thrilled by it, aren't you? You're so delighted that this is happening and you're so taken up with the moment that you're proud of what you create, even if you look back on it and go, oh, that hem was a bit dodgy or I could have changed that chair to be better. I think it's just a beautiful part of learning, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I think it's important that you're not too hard on yourself with the perfection. You know, I admire the people who every little thing is perfect. And that's one of the hard things about taking pictures of miniatures. Every time I take a picture of my room, I think that's a beautiful picture. And then I go look at it and I think, how did I not notice that you know, fill in the blank, you know, yeah. there, <laughs> there's... The cushion wasn't plumped or the rug had a, a gap in it or, yeah, I know. Yes, exactly. but one of the questions I thought was funny is someone asked me, well, how do you make sure your pillows are perfectly square? Yeah. And my answer was, oh, I don't. I just plump them up so they look square. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the, there's me thinking you're there with your ruler measuring and measuring until it's absolutely perfect. And you know what? I admire that. That is a better way to do it. It just it just hasn't happened for me yet. <laughs> but I think that's the beauty of it, isn't it? It's like, you know, we go into an art gallery and we can admire um, a beautiful Monet picture. We can admire a Renoir. And they're so different to another style like Picasso they're still beautiful, but they're so different and their use of color is different. And we, we would say both of them are art, wouldn't we? And we would appreciate both. And But I think there's one particular style that we gravitate to and think, oh, that's who I am at the moment. But I, as you say, I think we evolve and our color schemes evolve and our ways of doing things evolve. And and maybe, you know, one year we're filling our rooms with plants and the next year it's, you know, pictures or whatever. I think we will change, won't we? Well, I, I think we will, and I hope I will. Um, yeah. It's really been inspirational to talk to you, Ems. And oh, I loved it. I especially love, you know, with COVID sort of hopefully coming to an end, you know, one of the things I worry about is we'll all go back to what we were doing and forget miniatures. And so I want to say it right here that M said that hobbies such as miniatures are good for your health. You shouldn't give them up. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, they're so good for our mental well-being and they're good for our self-esteem. And they're actually good for our heart health and our brain health as well. So look it up. It's actually true. <laughs> right. So don't feel you have to give up your miniatures. You know, keep that and keep on being part of the miniature community with me. Yes, I agree. And I look forward to seeing all the beautiful colors um, in all of the houses that you ever do. Thank you, Ems. I look forward to seeing more of your beautiful work as well. I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Ems as much as I did. My next episode comes out May 4th. I will be talking to Diana, whose Instagram page, Enchanted Nook by Diana, is known for its beautiful and magical fairy gardens. Diana and I will discuss her lifelong love of fairies, glue recommendations, her glitter collection, and how Archie the Cat became her quality control expert, and much, much more. Tune in May 4th, and until then, make something small. It will make a big difference.